listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have an episode for you that comes from our sister podcast, The Deal Room. This is actually part three of a three-part series with Matt Alderton from BX Networking. We decided to play this episode on Talking Law because it provides such great insights for business owners into Matt's learnings and buying, starting, growing and exiting from six businesses along the way, which culminated in the sale of his last business for $16 million to a listed entity. It also provides great insight into a topic that is not discussed anywhere near as often as it should be, the importance of failure, how to protect yourself from failure, and how to view failure in a business. Now, If you find this episode interesting, then don't forget, once you've listened to it, you should head over to the Deal Room podcast and listen to part one and part two in this series, where we run through an overview where Matt has been in his business journey and where Matt also shares his experiences with setting up the online payroll rostering software business that he started from the ground up and ultimately sold for $16 to a listed entity. Now, in that part one and part two, we also dig into a discussion on employees holding equity as a path to locking in employee retention, which is, of course, a huge topic right at the moment. So I think it's an interesting discussion when we get into that. We also look at the lessons learned along the way when selling to a public company what you need to be aware of when selling to a public company and the differences in selling to a public company versus a private buyer. And finally, we also look at the importance in correctly timing your exit. Okay, but that is part one and part two, which you'll find in the Deal Room podcast. For now, we are sharing with you the third part of this three-part series. So here we go with our episode with Matt. Hi, Matt. So good to have you on the show again today. I had so much fun uh, talking the last two episodes and now today is sort of where we round it all out to to talk about where you are now. But huge thank you for coming on to the show again today. Great to be back. Thanks, Joanna. (laughs) Okay. Now, um, look, what an amazing story you've given us over the last two episodes. There have been so many businesses, so many learnings there. Um, you, you know, has it all been a piece of cake at this whole uh, this this whole business history? Oh, I guess you know you don't have the wins if you haven't had a few knockdowns. Um, you know, the the best lessons come from our our setbacks and adversity. I think uh, you know you can only achieve so much success. Uh, through just sheer luck, uh, it, when you have some setbacks and, and knockbacks, you certainly learn a lot, and that's going to set you up for success in the future. Um, in fact, probably very early on, I had my biggest uh, challenge. I'm not sure why I'm smiling when I say this, but maybe I've evolved. I've learned a little bit from it. Um, but uh, my, my one of my biggest challenges uh, that I faced, and it was a huge challenge, is that my very first business partner and a number of, di- of different retail businesses that I had 
um, actually uh, took us for about three quarters of a million bucks, actually about half a million bucks, and ended up being a debt that was owed to the ATO uh, for super and, and taxes and stuff like that, um, which left us with about of a whole of about three quarters of a million bucks um, was owed. Um, unfortunately, this business partner went bankrupt and all that sort of stuff, so there was no recourse for any of that. And it left us in a situation where we really just had to either pay it back or declare bankruptcy ourselves. So it was pretty, it was pretty, you know, challenging. It was about twelve years ago and 12, 13 years ago, and it was, um, it was pretty soul searching kind of time because you know we we were already on track with a number of businesses. We were uh, we were winning in the businesses. Uh, but we didn't know that the money that should have been paying those taxes was actually going to propping up other businesses and that as well. Uh, so it was pretty, pretty tough times. And I, I said in the last podcast that the people you, that you surround yourselves with will be the make or break of your organisation. Um, and the two, I think, most important sources of, uh, of support that you can have in your company are going to be your legal advice, your lawyer, uh, and also your accountant. Um, and my accountant, um, and I've had a few different accountants over time, um, all bar the last one on, and the one before it have let me down. So I've had five accountants. Three have been a shocker. Um, and then I had the next one I had was amazing. And then they worked out there was a conflict of interest with another client in relation to another business that I was selling. And they had to let me go, which was a pretty devastating element. And the one I've got now is phenomenal, um, which has been amazing. I've had them now for uh, about six years. Um, but my, my first few, you know, you evolve through time with your support around you. But my my accountant at the time missed all the cues of the stuff that wasn't happening from a compliance point of view. And we got about two years worth of uh, tax and super that had been not been paid, had been taken and not paid, uh, and had left us with an enormous hole. Um, and the next piece of advice I had was from my second accountant, which then, so when all that happened, I flicked that accountant and I found a new accountant who was going to help me through this. And this accountant said, well, the best way to move forward is to get rid of the debt. If you want to keep the businesses, get rid of the debt. So I think you should sell your, your house. Um, and so probably the worst piece of financial advice I've ever been given in my whole entire life. Because the one thing that everybody should know is that when you go into business and you set up a company and it's a proprietary limited company, that you're, you're putting a barrier basically between your personal assets and your business. And um, what my accountant then did is take out all of my personal assets, my equity in my home, by selling my home to pay off a business debt. And so it left me with nothing from a personal perspective. And that, that was the decade of a hole that left us in because now we're, uh, we don't have any equity there. We're trying to build businesses and repay debt and cash flow the debts without the equity of your home. It's a crazy um, decision that, um, and advice that he gave us. So the advice that you get off your legal team and your accounting team is just so pivotal in the success or not that you're going to have in your business. Um, and really, that 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 bad advice that we got. Um, and look, I, you know, I take responsibility for a lot of it as well because you know who who brought on the accountants, who was working with the accountants, who had who was dealing with the partner, who was trusting in the partner. Of course, that was me. Um, and it's taken me ten years to you know to wear that hat of uh, of responsibility because it was a lot of working through on my part, but. It is, you know, you, you trust too easily in the people around you and um, that's probably the number one learning uh, that I got out of that. You know, don't trust 
I give trust very freely, and I think that's um, I think it's important. But you can't give blind trust. And when there's money involved, you kind of have to make sure there's checks and balances on everything that happens because it keeps people who may be not having the best of intentions, it keeps them in check. Uh, and so what needs to happen is in a lot of organisations, and we talked about you know, just having great shareholders agreements, when there's a great level of understanding about what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and what happens um, in relation to how we do things, then stuff doesn't get all blurry. And um, I guess I let things get a little blurry because I just trusted blindly that this guy was looking after the accounts and, and the payroll and all that financial side of the business because I was taking care of the front end of those businesses as well. Um, so it's probably my biggest uh, hurdle that I've faced and it you know, took us a decade to get through it, um, but pretty challenging times, yeah. But I, I said this in, in our last episode and, and I'll repeat it now because I, I truly believe in it. Um, every successful business owner I know has been through trials and tribulations, things that haven't worked and, and usually – um, there'll be at least one quite serious event. And, and you know, this is what makes great businesses ultimately the experience from the coalface. You know, and I'm talking about the entrepreneur experience because, you, you know, it's potentially different um, in corporate land where there's less on the line um, for, you know, for individuals in management who are employed um, rather than it be their own cash that they're dealing with. But in entrepreneur world, there is a lot of risk. Um, there really is. And, um, you, you know, entrepreneurs are not um, a good personality type to recognise risk ultimately <laughs> because it's, it's, it's that optimism, it's that, that insight into the future without being, um, you know, sort of held back by fear. Um, but what that means is you need the right strength in the team around you but also in the check systems and balances and it's always about delegation, not abdication, um, and being close to the figures and making sure you understand the systems and processes to protect yourself, even though that can run against the grain of who entrepreneurs are and what makes them successful ultimately. That's true. I remember, um, so Mark Burris said that uh, when he was negotiating with Kerry Packer for Wizard Home Loans, um, and I think it was like a $60 million sale uh, when Kerry was buying into uh, Wizard Home Loans and, and Mark is doing the due diligence process with him and he's sitting in his office and Kerry's grilling him and Kerry says, Mark, talk to me about your failures. What's gone wrong? And Mark's like, oh, crap, I don't want to talk about this. And he says, I want to know what failures you had. And Mark's like, I don't want to tell him anything. I want to only tell him the good stuff. Um, and, he, and so he pushed him and he said, Mark, if you haven't failed – then I don't know that you can fail. And a business owner that can't fail and stand back up after it and rebuild off that back of that failure is not someone I want to go into business with. And I heard that about five years ago from Mark and I thought, ah, oh, that is so true because it's not, it's not getting knocked down. It's what you learn and it's about being able to get back up from that and be able to move on with the lessons that you get from that to give you the resilience to keep moving forward in business. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, it was so pivotal. It was such a key moment for me that um, I wasn't as embarrassed about what had happened. I was kind of like I used to hold it so close to me and, and not share it. And the more I've shared that story, the more people that have said, oh, thank you for sharing that because I'm going through this. And to know that 
maybe I'll get through it or I, I can get through it has meant a lot. And I've heard that like probably a hundred times over since I've started sharing that story. And I used to not want to share it because I was kind of embarrassed about the failure, about the challenge, about the adversity that we've faced. So it's really interesting to, um, to be able to reflect back now. Obviously, it's easier to reflect back than it is when you're in the, the pit of misery in the moment. In yeah. the moment, exactly, exactly, in the emotion of the moment. But look, absolutely, of course, because I'm a lawyer, I, I see... I, I see business owners at that point quite regularly, you know, and I understand how regular it is. But you're absolutely right. This is the one thing that in many instances is just not talked about because success is lauded perhaps more than the concept of, um, um, you know, discussing our failures. So, and, you know, not failures, learnings really, but um, but every, you know, I, I, I love talking to people. I love the stories of our business owners at Exit. And, you know, our business owners who've been in business for 40 years, which so many of them have, you know, 30 and 40 years, 50 years sometimes before they sell, I, I promise you I've not had a single discussion um, with with business owners who've been in business that long where they do not have a critical story like that. So there you go, Matt, you're not on your own. But um, but it's a good point about sharing it. And so let's talk about, we talked about, we've talked about so many things, so many learnings in business. We start, talk, started right at the beginning. Um, with with your experience in the smaller um, types of organisations, so um, in, in franchising, so you're in subways, in video stores, I love that, um, video stores, a relic from the past. My favourite, um, actually, probably one of my favourite businesses, the video stores, love that. that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, very, you know, uber cool now, but, uh, you know, perhaps not a lot of money to be made out of it. Um, and and then you move into IWS where you really, you sort of grew this business to the point where you realised it didn't need you to be the person running it anymore and, and then you managed um, to get a capital raise and ultimately an exit to a public company. So huge histories and this brings you to BX now. So what what. What is the crystallization of all of these things that you've learned along the way? What are you doing in your business now that um, echoes the lessons that you've learned along the way from the successes and the things that you felt were failures at the time? Yeah, thanks. So it was, it's really interesting because that's exactly why BX was created. I experienced so much. I'd gone through some challenges and success. And I looked at the failure rate of business in Australia and it was so, the failure rate was so high, like 96% of businesses, 96% of businesses will fail within 10 years, 50% within 12 months, 80% within five years. I'm like, this is crazy. Like all these people who are passionate, enthusiastic entrepreneurs who have got this vision to change the world or change their local area or whatever it is. And they're destined for failure. I thought, this is this is nuts. How can we change this? How can I bring together my experience plus source these four percenters who have had the success and who are running amazing businesses and who want to share their expertise? How can I bring them to a place where I can get them to share that with, uh, with clients and people? So I created BX uh, firstly as a 12-month entrepreneurial education program where they joined us for 12 months. We would Part, bring these experts in and we would train them through workshops and all sort of stuff. And um, so that's what I created this business to do that. And we were probably about 18 months in, two years in uh, through 2014, 15, 16. And 
I every time we brought people together, the, the feedback we always got was I'd love more networking. I'd love more networking. And part of growing BX, I was part of every networking organization known to man. I was going to everything. I was like a um, networking junkie and I, I was like, I was everywhere. So I was actually, I built quite a reputation. I used to just, I used to go to, you know, B&I, you can only go to one chapter. I was going to all the chapters as guests all the time. I was a member of one, going to every chapter. I was a um, member of um, a number of different organizations across Australia. We didn't have much networking back then. I used to go to the Chambers of Commerce. Um, so I was very much, I understood the value of networking and build a community around you. Uh, but every one of my clients was also saying, we, want, we need more networking as part of what we do with BX. Uh, I then was like, I introduced like networking breakfast as part of the bigger events and the workshops and stuff we were doing. But then there was an organization in Sydney, it was called The Real Beers. It was uh, rebrand, like it was, um, it was kind of, it had been doing a great trajectory then over the probably the past 12 months it was kind of dropping off they'd rebranded and did a few things and it hadn't it was it's not getting much traction and but i was part of it and i loved it they had a great philosophy and they said matt we're selling our organization um we and they had eight groups in sydney and they said would you be interested in buying it i'm like no thank you like i've got enough that i'm doing i'm focused on bx like i'm not interested in um doing a networking thing as well Anyway, we kept talking about this, kept having these conversations, and they're like, um, we really we don't want to close it. We actually, you know, we've lost our passion for the business. We don't want to close it. Um, we really want to sell it, but, we're, you know, we don't know who to sell it to to continue the legacy of what we've started. Um, and they kind of got it to like 280 members at the peak, and it was now down to about 70, was it 76 members when we did take it on. So we did buy the business because I thought to myself, actually, this could be a really good sales funnel and marketing funnel for BX. All these business owners, networking, breakfast everywhere. Hey, we'll we'll use those as the funnel for uh, our education program. And what soon happened over about 12 months from 2016, September 2016 when we bought it, to sort of over the next 12 months over 2017, the size of that business that we grew just in Sydney um, and Canberra, well, New South Wales and Canberra, the size of that outgrew the um, the other side of the business. It just took this trajectory because a lot of our members were doing both. Um, and was, I still joke about this because we used to charge a thousand bucks a month for this education program, uh, this 12 month program. Uh, so 12 grand a year or um, now, well now we have BX, which is a um, hundred bucks a month. <laughs> so 1200 bucks a year. So it's a 10th of the price. But all the education that we had in that original model is still available in BX. So it's a tenth of the price that it used to be, uh, but it's a lot easier in terms of business because we're able to do that to many. And my personal goal was I want to help more people, and this allowed us to do that and allows to help us them do that without it being so much about me and being about you know one to many and really being able to get across. So we run you know thousands of events. Um, I'm at very, very few of them. Uh, whereas before, it was all relying on me being at all these events to be that that one person to run all the workshops. Even when I brought speakers in, I had to beat the events to coordinate them and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, the sales side of it was very much upon me. Um, I realized that the scalability and long-term growth of BX was not going to be in the old model. It had to be in the new model because I could help a lot more people by scaling it and I couldn't scale it using the old model because I was really the cap on that. 
Uh, and so now we have, instead of having a couple of events a year with thousands of people and some workshops, now we have thousands of events every year with, you know, 20 or 30 people um, all over the Australia, New Zealand, US, um, Canada. Um, in September, we kick off in and things like that. So that is like that to me, that's helping me live out my purpose as opposed to me being the lid on my ability to, to hit that purpose as well. Um, that's kind of where BX has grown from. So it's pretty exciting um, what it's what it's ended up being. Uh, and it was kind of like I fell into it, you know. But at the end of the day, who are the best people to listen to to deliver a product uh, to your customers? It's your customers, right? And what were, what were my customers asking for? They, they loved what they had with BX, but they wanted more of this. And so we gave them what they asked for and we were feeding a hungry crowd. And when you feed a hungry crowd... People flock to it, don't they? It's like you know throwing chips out at the beach. Um, when you've got the right food and um, you've got the right audience, you all you're swarmed, and and that's what's happened. It's the groundswell of uh, through BX that's it's just taking you know the the Australia by storm and the world by storm, and 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 that sounds crazy. Even when I say it, I sound silly when I say it, but like that's what's happening. It's crazy. Um, that we're that we've you know we're throwing the chips out and uh, and people are just flocking to it because it is such a unique way of doing it. And we have reimagined networking um, in, in a significant way because it used to be so transactional networking. It was always about selling. Um, even it evolved a little bit and became about partnerships. And they were saying, you know, go into a networking room and instead of selling that person, ask them if they know someone that you can sell to. Well, no one wants to tell you and provide a name with someone that you're going to sell to because that kind of burns your contacts pretty quickly. So it only works when you um, know someone who says, hey, I'm looking for a mortgage broker. And you go, oh, I know a mortgage broker. But that's pretty hit and miss. Uh, And so we know the number one way for people to get new clients is referrals. There has to be a system around that. And no one had a system for it. No one had a way to strategically drive referrals into their business. And that's what we created with BX. So you flip the whole model on its head. We were about partnerships uh, and finding partnerships outside the room with other business owners who had all the same types of clients as you. Those uh, businesses didn't compete with you. Therefore, you were able to share your clients with each other on a referral basis, um, which was organic. You know, when the business coach and the accountant have a good referral partnership, every time the business coach gets in front of one of their clients, they're asking them questions. If anything accounting comes up or there's any pains in relation to the current accounting, who are they sending those clients to? To their accountant referral partner. And vice versa. And that's that's the power of it. And we, we're able to attribute about 20K per year per referral partner uh, for our clients from all the case studies and learnings we have. Uh, so we help people build five to 10 great referral partners a year. Um, they're generating six figures plus off this particular pillar of marketing that we've lined them up with. Um, and it's amazing. And we've just it just seems to be so well received and so well adopted by our, our members and people coming along and um, it's it's great. It let's me live out my purpose uh, at the same time as helping people build great businesses. And I'm sure there's lots of, you know, we have lots of business brokers, lots of accountants, lots of professionals that assist businesses in buying and selling um, that will be listening to this. So I'm I'm sure, you know, jump into a BX um, near you. We'll, we'll put some links in the show notes and um, try it out for yourself. But in building BX, Matt, at right now, so you're in growth phase right now, what is it that, how are you growing the business different now, given your knowledge of what creates value at exit, to 
the way that you have grown your other businesses or indeed the way you may have grown it if you didn't have the knowledge you now have about exit? Yeah, I, 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 there's a couple of things. So I guess, well, there's three sort of key things. Um, so the, the first one is profit as an important element of building the business. Um, the second one is the people that I'm surrounding myself with uh, and building the business. And, and then the culture of the organization is is the probably the third element that are probably the three key things that I'm constantly thinking about in building the business because like I'm not building BX to sell it um, because I don't have sale on mine now, but you always have to have an exit strategy. Um, and I don't believe that I necessarily will sell the business. I believe that BX will be, um, you know, a business that continues to grow and but I don't see myself as that person running that business um, for into the future uh, forever I'll probably have a seat at the table I hope for a, uh, for a very long time I think we touched about on this in the first episode but an international organization running a, you know multiple operations across multiple countries um, is something I've never done before um, so am I the best person to be running an organization across multiple countries and I'd be the first person to go probably not. Um, right now, where we're going, we're starting up, and we've and I've got the capacity, and I've got great team around me, and I'm bringing great people on around me. Um, so I'm building the people around me. Um, that's possible to do, but there's a point in time where I need to make a, a conscious decision that my capacity as the CEO, the leader of the organisation, is not going to be the best person to have in that role. Um, and likewise, when we put and surround ourselves with amazing people, um, like I've just hired an absolutely phenomenal operations manager for the US. Uh, you know, we've got an amazing operations manager in Australia. We've got phenomenal team support around us um, from marketing and finance and, 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 and office management in Australia as well. Like they're all key people, but another key person is, you know, yourself and having a clear understanding of what your capability is and whether you're in the right seat is also a fundamental question you need to continually ask yourself. Um, and I do challenge myself with it. I, and I know that I am the right person right now for where we're at. I am the right person in this role. Um, but I know that there's a plan in place where at some point we're going to be recruiting for a CEO to run an international organization, uh, which will be you know, a big ticket em employment uh, cost, uh, like they're not going to come cheap, but they're going to come at a place and time in the organization when we're ready for it and when we need it and where that benefit is going to outstrip the benefit that I can have on the organization as well. Um, because at some time, at some point in time, we're just not the best person in our role. Uh, you know, and it's, it could be as simple as you could be the standalone person in your business right now. You could be running everything which means you're wearing, you know, the CEO hat, the founder hat, the HR hat, the finance manager hat, the marketing hat. Um, you're a jack of all trades, right? And right now, you can't afford to put all those people in place, and that would make sense. So you're wearing all those hats. But at some point, you need to make good decisions about when you bring someone on to take on those responsibilities because you can't keep growing while doing everything. Uh, and the same happens when you need to go, well, actually, I'm not the right person to be where I am now. I need to step aside and bring someone into the organization to run that. Um, and that is, we talked about the last time, it's, it's a hard decision because it's, you know, there's ego tied up in it. And um, I say that freely because everyone has ego, uh, whether you think you do or you think you don't. When you recognize it, um, you know you do. When you don't recognize it, you still have it um, and you probably have it worse. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say it's probably a giveaway that there's, yeah, yeah. You don't right. know. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and it's really important to recognise that, uh, and I've, I've mentioned this to you before, that, you know, Tony Robbins talks about this, the our seven human needs and one of them is significance. And a lot of significance is tied up in our position, uh, whether it's our position in our company or whatever, um, but it's about, and, and so often it's title is, is so key for people as well. And you might not think it, or you might be embarrassed to admit it, but there's there's a real uh, you know significance factor that people feel by the title they give themselves or the title they have in the company they work for, um, and it's important to recognise that with your people as well because you know that plays an important part about what they're going to deliver to your company. But just like having it, taking it away is also uh, can also have a, a challenging effect with people as well. Um, and Absolutely. there's a time and a place, yeah. I just want to throw in, it's a really good point because that whole taking away, you know, um, I, I see um, founders sometimes sell out and as part of, you know, the sell out, they end up um, as part of the deal staying engaged with the business post sale for a period of time, sometimes in an earn out, sometimes not. So often I just find business owners struggle more than they realised they were going to with the concept that they don't rather show anymore. And, um, and and we've talked about that a little bit in terms of, you know, um, your previous experience and, and you, you've probably, you know, I guess this time round um, when you appoint someone, you'll you'll know exactly what it feels like to have walked the path and, and you know, you're walking into it with your eyes wide open. And that's all you can ask, I think, is walking into these things with your eyes wide open. But now before we go, I just want to throw some rapid fire questions at you. We're going to take, we've only got four minutes, whole heap of things I want to get through. So I've, I've got a few questions for you. So let's start the rapid timer now. Okay, so we've talked about a few things, franchise or non-franchise business? What's your preference? First business, franchise. You learn so much of being part of a franchise. People have had success and done it before. So turnkey operation, definitely franchises. I love it. I love it. So start franchise is the idea. Great idea. Wonderful. Okay. Greenfield site or buy a business? Start from scratch, buy. It depends how much money you got. You're going to pay to get a site that's already set up and running. Or if you're going to go um, brand new site, a Greenfield site, then it's going to be cheaper to start. But there's more risk because you don't know what success you're going to have. So there's a risk versus reward on both those ones. So you're going to really weigh up your options. Which was more successful for you, Matt? For me, the greenfields were actually more successful, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, interesting. That's a really interesting one. Okay. So looking at a sale, preferred buyer, given all of your experiences, big buyer or a smaller buyer, which have been your best experiences? Oh, my goodness. Um, the smaller buyers are actually... I think harder sometimes to work with. The bigger the corporation that you're dealing with, the bigger the business that's negotiating, often you feel like I referred to it as a rectal exam last time I talked about it with that, I, that big I, deal. I, you know, interesting analogy, but I, you know, it seems it seems apt. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, you can visualize that. Well, actually, don't visualize that. But uh, <laughs> but I think it's very process driven, whereas. A smaller buyer is emotionally driven and that I think can be really tough because they push, push, push and it's like they're, they're 
they're picking at a sore kind of thing. Like it's very emotional. Whereas the bigger buyers, it's like process. It's actually very clinical. And that's the big difference between big and small. Um, I prefer to work actually more clinically uh, than somebody who's emotionally attacking you all the time. Yeah. And potentially a higher yeah. multiple. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Absolutely. Yes. laughs> um, best approach to staff retention. Um, uh, to be honest, this is probably a bit controversial, but I just say, love your team. Um, I, I think that, uh, that you shouldn't have boundaries between, well, you know, obviously obvious boundaries, but I think that my best team, um, I have great relationships with. So I, I know their family. I, you know, we go for dinner, we connect well, we, um, we have relationships with. And I think sometimes people think that, you know, you've got to have boundaries with your team. Um, well, I say break down the band boundaries with your team and, um, and, you know, they want you to care for them really. At the end of the day, they want to have that relationship with you and they feel valued when they've got that relationship with you. So that's my number one key for having and keeping good team is to build the relationship. Love it. Okay, 30 seconds to go. Two questions. Can we do it? Um, the best the best thing you have done in your history to maximise the value of your businesses along the way? One best thing. A team. Bring the right people on and look after them and um, they will drive value beyond anything else that you do in your organisation. Love it. Very last question here. What's your one biggest learning? Surround yourself with amazing people. I, I've always said we're the average of the seven people we spend the most amount of time with, whether it's an amazing accountant, amazing lawyer, great team members, a great partner in life. All those people that you surround yourself with will set you up for success or failure. Make sure that they're challenging everything that you think. You know, you don't want to have people that are yes men all around you. You want to have people that push your buttons that sometimes make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, my partner's really good at that, about challenging the way I think. Um, if you have people like that in your life, then you will absolutely succeed because your, your average will continue to lift. Brilliant. Love it. Matt, look, that was just absolutely outstanding. Um, that was just fabulous. I so enjoyed this discussion with you over multiple episodes. Do you know what? We've got to come back and do more. We want to talk about lease negotiation, um, how to, you know, I, I, I'm really interested in some of your experiences with um, lawyers that didn't work for you along the way as well. But um, anyway, so many things to talk about in the future, but just like a huge um, congratulations for that fabulous history that you've got like what an interesting history over the decades for the many businesses you've been in grown exited and the beautiful amazing bx that you're building right now um massive thank you thank you thanks for having me i've had fun <laughs> wonderful thanks well, that's it for this episode of Talking Law with Matt Alderton of BX Networking. Of course, this is the last of our three-part series. And as I said in the introduction, if you didn't hear the other two parts, head over to our sister podcast, The Deal Room Podcast at www.thedealroompodcast.com or look in your show notes. We will link straight through to it. And of course, you can just find it by searching for The Deal Room Podcast in your favorite podcast player. Now, back in part one and part two, we talk about Matt's entree into business, operating and owning a Subway franchise and other small businesses. And in part two, Matt shows his experience with his 
online payroll rostering software that he started from the ground up and ultimately ended up selling for $16 million to a listed entity. Well, look, that's it for today. If you'd like to contact Matt or find out a bit more about BX Networking, make sure you check out the links in the show notes below this podcast episode where we link straight through to Matt and some information about BX Networking. Now, if you're an SME or an accountant or someone who can see the opportunity of networking in your business, we have some great offers from Matt for you. So as I said, check them out in the show notes. Now, if you'd like more information about any of the legal elements that we talked about in this episode, then just head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au and there you'll find details of how to contact our legal eagles at Aspect Legal, where you can book in a free 15-minute discussion with our legal team. And that's it. I hope you enjoyed what you heard today. Thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Are you looking for a top quality legal team to assist you in your organisation? Aspect Legal is an innovative commercial legal practice that specialises in providing fast and professional services for their clients. If you'd like to chat about how we might be able to assist you, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a time for a free discussion with one of our lawyers. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.